everybody. It is Wednesday, April 19th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I feel like I saw a familiar face on local news today. That be me, Mosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I anchored for Newsday TV. That is the same place where I did election night coverage. It was a lot of fun and it was good to just anchor and and kind of use that skill again. It's like it is like riding a bike, I have to say. So uh, if any listeners are out there on Long Island, uh, catch a glimpse of Jill's coverage on Newsday TV. She will alert us all to the next appearance on her Instagram account. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to the headlines here, though. The Kansas City homeowner accused of shooting a teen who mistakenly rang his doorbell turned himself in what he told police about why he fired his gun and also an update on Ralph Jarl's condition. We got our first glimpse of detained American journalist Evan Gershkovich in a Russian courtroom after his arrest on spying charges last month. No surprise, a judge upheld his detention. Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity will not be taking the stand. Fox has settled with Dominion on the first day of its trial for hundreds of millions of dollars. The Oklahoma governor calling on officials to resign over a recording of racist and threatening remarks. We'll discuss the latest viral debate. Who should clean up after kids on an airplane? Jill, we've pulled the Mo News Comedian on Instagram and you might be surprised by the results. Ooh, very excited. Uh, The comeback of a lifetime, three and a half months after suffering cardiac arrest, Bill's DeMar Hamlin gets the okay to play football again. Incredible. And it's the end of an era. Netflix is officially shutting down its legacy DVD by mail business, which, yes, apparently was still a thing. Jill, I can't remember the last time I watched a DVD, but uh, we actually looked into recent DVD sales. And again, you might be surprised later in this podcast by how many people are still buying them. And Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, a viral 90s hit was born on this day, and it included the number five. Okay, let's start in Kansas City, where 84-year-old Andrew Lester turned himself into authorities almost 20 hours after prosecutors pressed felony charges against him for the shooting of 16-year-old Ralph Yarl. Cops say Lester surrendered at a detention center just before 2.30 p.m. on Tuesday, He faces two felony charges, assault in the first degree and armed criminal action for that April 13th shooting of Jarl. As we reported yesterday, Jarl had accidentally gone to the wrong address to pick up his two younger brothers, the correct address, just a block away from Lester's house. According to police documents, Lester said in an interview that he was in bed when he heard a doorbell. He got up and grabbed his gun as he walked to the door. He said the main door and glass storm door were both locked. After opening the door, he said he saw a tall black male and concluded that he was attempting to break into the house. He said he fired immediately when he saw Jarl pulling on an exterior door handle. No words were ever exchanged. Lester said he was, quote, scared to death because of the boy's size. In response to that, Jarl's aunt says she doubts her nephew is even 170 pounds and not even six feet tall. While he was hospitalized, he told police that he did not pull on the door, according to the document. Yeah, and as we told you yesterday, there's no video uh, and no witnesses of this interaction. We just have Ralph Jarl's and Andrew Lester's word for it here. And imagine we're going to be hearing a lot more as this thing eventually heads to trial. And in those documents you mentioned, Jill, uh, in the interview, Lester did tell police Jarl never attempted to enter the house. 
He just found him threatening and decided to open fire. Lester did turn himself in on Tuesday and then posted bond, which was set at $200,000. Lester needed to come up with 10% of that, $20,000, in order to be released. We also got an update on Tuesday on Jarl's condition. He's out of the hospital, recovering at home. He has gunshot wounds to the head above his left eye, some potential uh, brain damage. He was also wounded in his arm. Jarl's mom spoke to CBS's Gail King on Tuesday. Here's a bit of what she had to say. Ralph is doing uh, considerably well. Physically, mornings are hard, but his spirits are in a good place. I borrow from his spirits. He is in very good hands. In the interview, she did say that he was only able to come home from the hospital because she herself is a nurse. Apparently, several members of Jarl's family have a background in medicine and are all tending to him right now, including another member of his family, who's a physical therapist. Yarl's family attorney is Ben Crump, who says that he's not out of the woods yet, and they are worried about brain damage. The mom did say in the interview on CBS, uh, sadly, that uh, Yarl is crying a lot. He's not being very communicative uh, and just keeps replaying the incident over and over and over again in his head. That is totally understandable. Could you imagine just innocently going to pick your siblings up and just getting shot? I mean, he obviously didn't even realize he was at the wrong house. He's a 16-year-old kid. He's in band. You know, he's just living his life. He went to 115th Northeast, 115th Street instead of 115th Terrace around the corner, stood the door, exchanged no words, and the man shot him twice. So we will stay on top of this story. Meanwhile, in a different case, this time in upstate New York, a 65-year-old man's been charged with second-degree murder after he shot and killed a 20-year-old woman Saturday evening. After the car that she was in mistakenly drove up the man's driveway, officials say Kaylin Gillis was in the car with three other people Saturday night. They were looking for a friend's house. This rural section of Washington County where the shooting took place is really dark at night, and many of the properties are only accessible by unpaved driveways. The sheriff says the group mistakenly drove up to a house, followed by two other cars. And as they attempted to turn the car around, the suspects, Kevin Monahan came out on his porch and fired two shots, one of which hit Gillis when she was seated in the car. No one from the group had left the car or tried to enter Monahan's house before he came out and opened fire. Police officers went to the home and encountered him. Monahan, they say, was not cooperative. They say he wouldn't come out and talk to patrols. Police called it a bit of a situation. Eventually, though, Monahan did surrender. The sheriff up there in upstate New York and Washington County is describing the attack as unprovoked, unexplained. According to the sheriff, Gillis was one of four people in uh, the last car to turn around, was sitting in the front passenger seat when Monahan just shot through the rear of the driver's side. The New York Times reports that Monahan had a reputation up there among some residents as a sour character prone to barking at neighbors' dogs, scolding a local church, and being so averse to unannounced visitors that he at one time used a chain to cordon off his driveway. Sheriff Murphy said that Gillis, the 20-year-old uh, woman who lost her life here, uh, was a former competitive cheerleader, an honor student, a budding artist, described by one person as a beautiful and kind soul who had hoped to study marine biology. We should note, Jill, that unlike Missouri, New York does not have a stand-your-ground law, meaning homeowners do have a duty to retreat if they see anything they believe is a threat. Stand-your-ground laws in about 30 states across the country allow people to respond to threats or force without fear of prosecution in any place where a person has the right to be. But even in the case we discussed earlier in Missouri and Kansas City, 
it will be a challenging case for the defense attorneys to make here that they viewed uh, the teen in that case as an imminent threat, given he wasn't armed, didn't say anything, wasn't attempting to break into the house. All right, moving on to our next story, $787.5 million. That is the amount of money Fox News and its parent company, Fox Corporation, have agreed to pay the election tech company Dominion Voting Systems in an 11th hour settlement on Tuesday. A jury had already been seated and opening statements were about to get underway as they struck this deal to avert a trial in the blockbuster defamation suit filed over claims that Fox knowingly lied and defamed the election company after the 2020 presidential elections. The judge, Eric Davis of the Delaware Superior Court, announced the settlement from the bench on Tuesday afternoon ahead of the trial's scheduled start. The parties settled for $787.5 million. That's about half of Dominion's original $1.6 billion ask. Here's a bit of what the lawyers for Dominion and company execs had to say on Tuesday. Today's settlement of $787,500,000 represents vindication and accountability. Lies have consequences. The truth does not know red or blue. Fox and Dominion have reached an, an historic settlement. Fox has admitted to telling lies about Dominion that caused enormous damage to my company, our employees, and the customers that we serve. Nothing can ever make up for that. Throughout this process, we have sought accountability and believe the evidence brought to light through this case underscores the consequences of spreading lies. Dominion CEO John Powell added, truthful reporting in the media is essential to our democracy. Fox released a statement after the settlement stating that we acknowledge the court's rulings, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. The settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. We are hopeful that our decision to resolve this dispute with Dominion amicably instead of the acrimony of a divisive trial allows the country to move forward from these issues. And that's the extent of what you'll hear from Fox here, that line saying, we acknowledge the court's ruling, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. Uh, Apparently, there was no agreement on any sort of uh, retraction or correction or apology by Fox. So it's that statement, plus the $787 million settlement here. And it's been interesting, Jill, because I got reaction from some people who uh, were awaiting this trial. They were curious about this. The Rupert Murdoch was set to testify. His son who operates the company was set to testify, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. I mean, this was set to last for several weeks and could have been very revealing. All the more reason that Fox chose to settle here, even for that very high amount, $787 million. Dominion Voting Systems had alleged that Fox stars, executives, journalists, guests had defamed the company for segments that aired wild conspiracy theories about them after the election in 2020, going into 2021, saying that Dominion was working with foreign governments, switching votes between uh, Biden and Trump. And a judge determined here that those were all lies. Fox acknowledges here that those were all lies. They admitted as much in that statement. But one of the reasons here for the settlement is that in this pretrial process, one of the reasons we know so much already is a whole bunch of emails and text messages came out in recent months. They revealed that Fox executives, Fox talent, knew what they were airing was false. It had Tucker Carlson and others mocking Donald Trump, mocking his attorneys, many saying 
that they still had to air these allegations because they were scared of the audience, that the audience was loyal to Trump, and they were worried that if they did not reinforce these conspiracy theories, that their audience would leave them for other conservative outlets. So they kept doing it, trying to keep ratings up. And this was some really embarrassing stuff that came out in recent weeks. And that could have been a calculation here as far as the settlement is concerned, that they did not want more of that coming out in the coming weeks. There was a lot of powerhouse people there who were set to testify. Notably, the largest previous media agreement before this was a settlement between ABC News and a South Dakota meat processing company over a botched ABC investigation that defamed the company, uh, Beef Products Inc. That settlement a couple of years ago was for $177 million. This settlement, about four times that amount. And Fox is not out of the legal mess yet, Jill. They are facing another lawsuit from another election tech company who says they were defamed in uh, Fox's coverage. That is Smartmatic. They're suing for $2.7 billion, with a B there. Uh, That's being pursued in New York courts. Fox also has yet another lawsuit they're facing from a former producer who says that Fox told her to lie in segments in order to defend Trump. We'll see what happens there. Jill, I was watching Fox Tuesday afternoon. Howard Kurtz, their media reporter, was very precise with his language as he reported on the settlement from Delaware. He actually wouldn't even disclose the sum Fox paid here, very kind of both sizing it. But it was notable that Fox did mention the settlement in at least one of their shows in their 6 p.m. special report show. I'm glad you mentioned Howard Kurtz, because interestingly, in this whole time leading up to the trial, he, as you said, is their media correspondent, and he was not allowed to discuss the trial, to discuss the case. And and he said he wanted to, but he just wasn't allowed. Uh, So I'll be curious to see on his Sunday show if he winds up covering it as well. Yeah, it will be interesting if uh, they allow him to cover it and how he chooses to cover it, because, of course, on that show, he covers issues related to the media and press, at least all other media organizations. It was notable, though, Jill, that he did mention in his one report on it on Tuesday so far that the uh, conspiracy theories that the network spread were, quote, obviously false. And he did refer to them as conspiracy theories. So that was notable. But you can imagine that his scripts are going through a whole bunch of attorneys uh, and executives at Fox uh, as they figure out how to cover themselves here. As Politico put it in their nightly newsletter on Tuesday, The settlement spares the network from weeks of embarrassing testimony that would have put the widespread internal dysfunction at Fox News on full public display, which I am sure factored into their decision here to settle. There was a lot of schadenfreude happening from the other media here. Just to to give people a sense of the numbers here, $787 million, a significant sum. Fox Corporation, though, last year brought in $12 billion in revenue with a B and has $4 billion cash on hand. So they have the cash to write the check with several billion left over, Jill. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast. But first, let's thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten more than 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics to support your digestion and gut health. And what's great is they have a special deal right now for all you Mo News listeners. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can head over to athleticgreens.com slash Mo News to take advantage of this offer. 
while there, you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, it is athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal. And it's really an opportunity to really start to take ownership over your health. Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do, but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Wall Street Journal. We got our first glimpse of detained American journalist Evan Gershkovich in a Russian courtroom on Tuesday. A Moscow judge upheld the continued prison detention of the Wall Street Journal reporter. Gershkovich was first arrested while on a reporting trip last month and held on an allegation of espionage that the journal and the U.S. government vehemently deny. After a closed hearing Tuesday, Gershkovich, a 31-year-old American citizen, was denied bail and ordered held in the prison pending trial in the coming months. He is being held in a facility that's often used to house prominent political prisoners. It is also exceedingly rare for defendants to win appeals or to be acquitted in such cases in Russia where espionage laws are increasingly used for political purposes. The U.S. government has designated Gershkovich as wrongfully detained and has called for his immediate release. The American ambassador to Russia, Lynn Tracy, she was allowed access to Gershkovich for the first time this week, and she also says those charges are baseless. She was actually at the hearing on Tuesday. Uh, notably, and I posted some of these photos on our Instagram account, Gershkovich was held in this clear box, this clear plexiglass uh, box, which apparently is common in some of these Russian trials. The Russian authorities have not publicly presented any evidence to support the allegations that he was a spy here. And of course, you have the denials from him and the U.S. government. A conviction in this case carries a sentence of up to 20 years in prison. Virtually, Jill, as you mentioned, all espionage trials in Russia end in a guilty verdict. Vladimir Putin has a direct line into judges there. And these types of cases have really become more frequent in recent years. Gershkovich's lawyers on Tuesday had made a request that he be transferred to house arrest, agreeing to constraints on his movements, bail, etc. The owner of the Wall Street Journal was willing to grant bail of 50 million rubles, equivalent to about $600,000, but the court refused to grant that appeal. Russian authorities have ordered Gershkovich to be held in pretrial detention until basically the end of May. They can then request an extension of that period. 
Analysts who watch these types of Russian proceedings say it could be many months before his case is brought to trial as investigators gather materials here. His lawyers and the U.S. ambassador did say that he's in good spirits. His lawyer saying on Tuesday his mood is combative. He is ready to continue to defend his innocence as well as press freedom. Back here at home from CNN, the governor of Oklahoma is calling on four county officials to resign after they participated in a secretly recorded conversation that included racist remarks about lynching black people and talking about killing journalists. The newspaper, the McCurtain Gazette News, over the weekend published the audio that it said was recorded following a board of commissioners meeting in early March. It took place in McCurtain County, which is in the southeastern part of Oklahoma. The newspaper said the audio of the meeting was legally obtained, but the McCurtain County Sheriff's Office said in a statement that it was illegally recorded and that it's investigating. The Sheriff's Office also said that it believes that the recording had been altered. Either way, it appears that the Republican governor is convinced of its legitimacy and wants these officials to step down. He said in a statement that he is, quote, both appalled and disheartened to hear the horrid comments made by officials in McCurtain County. He says there is simply no place for such hateful rhetoric in the state of Oklahoma, especially by those that serve to represent the community through their respective office. Yeah, regardless of what the local officials are saying there, the governor's like, no, this is real and you guys need to step down. He's calling for the resignations of the county sheriff, a commissioner, a sheriff's investigator, and the jail administrator all heard on that audio tape. The governor's also asking the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation to look into the case. The recording was made hours after a Gazette News reporter, Chris Willingham, had filed a lawsuit against the sheriff's office, uh, as well as some of those other individuals, alleging they had defamed him and violated his civil rights. After the filing of that lawsuit, they apparently have this meeting where they're joking about hiring someone to kill Willingham and that one of them says on the audio that they know a place to bury him. In other parts of the recording, officials expressed disappointment that black people could no longer be lynched in the state. Chris Willingham, the reporter, and his father, Bruce Willingham, who happens to be the local newspaper's publisher, have been advised to temporarily leave town. That's apparently for their own safety. The law firm representing the Willingham family says that, quote, for nearly a year, they have suffered intimidation, ridicule, and harassment solely based on their efforts to report the news from McCurtain County, Oklahoma. Moshe, I do think it's interesting that these officials are saying that the audio tape had been altered, which is kind of what we were talking about yesterday. It's not exactly the same thing as AI, but we did talk about this possibility that people who are caught on tape, or even if they're not caught on tape, if it's something that they just said, but they want to go back on it, are just going to say, nope, that wasn't me, or nope, that was altered or, and edited. It wasn't actually what I meant or what I said. Yeah, and this case is, appears to be a local paper that says they've obtained an audio recording. Uh, and interestingly, you have a Republican governor calling for the resignation of Republican officials, despite what those officials might say. So we'll keep tabs on this. Okay, from NBC New York, shocking images from a garage collapse in lower Manhattan on Tuesday. A parking garage collapsed in New York City's financial district, killing one person and injuring others. According to the fire department, firefighters responded but had to pull rescuers out because of concerns about the building's structural stability. At least five workers were injured. A worker was trapped on the upper floors of the building and called for help. Firefighters assisted him across the roof to another building to get to safety. Officials believe everyone in the building has been accounted for. Yeah, this was breaking news in New York City uh, for several hours Tuesday afternoon. Authorities at one point used a robotic dog with a camera to stream video 
from within the building as conditions were too unstable for first responders to go inside themselves. The mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, told reporters that the building did not appear to have any open violations, according to their records, but they do see a 2003 violation for a crack in one of the ceiling slabs on the first floor. And then there was another violation several years later in 2009 about fire stairs that were broken and defective and that there was a loose piece of concrete in danger of falling. You can imagine, given the hundreds of parking garages around New York, uh, that there's going to be a lot of uh, records being looked at in the coming days. Really frightening pictures that came out of New York Tuesday. Okay, now to a question gone viral. Who should clean up after kids on an airplane? So this from the Today Show, a viral tweet has the internet talking. Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass, a dad, took to Twitter to report that a flight attendant told his wife to clean up a mess that their kids made on an airplane. He wrote, quote, the flight attendant at United just made my 22-week pregnant wife traveling with a five-year-old and two-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess by my youngest daughter. Are you kidding me? He included a photo of the kids sitting in seats with popcorn on the floor beneath them. His tweet, though, did not exactly garner support. Thousands weighed in. One person wrote, genuinely curious who should clean up the mess your two-year-old made as a parent of three kids. I am the one responsible for them. Another said, Mm, 22 weeks, get over yourself. Pregnant women lift weights, run corporations, work in fields and take care of a lot of things. That small mess shouldn't be an issue. Take like two minutes, unless of course we're raising our kids to be entitled and we expect everyone to wait on us. Mosh, I love that he thought he'd be getting just tons of sympathy messages <laughs> and was just bombarded with people like, uh, what are you doing? Your wife should have cleaned up the popcorn. Yeah, so the pitcher, uh, Anthony Bass, was not on the flight, but he's the one who shared it and sort of went viral. His wife, by the way, he's married to Sydney Ray James. Some of you might be familiar with country singer Jesse James Decker. Sydney is her sister. I actually asked Jill, the Mo News community, we're a few hours into our polling here, but pretty remarkably, as we record this on Tuesday night, we're now up to 7,000 respondents. It's 50-50. There are six votes separating these 7,000 people who voted so far. When I asked the question, whose responsibility was this? The plane and the flight attendants or the mom? Which, you know, I think is pretty interesting just given how close this is right now. And we tend to have a, a much more a female and a young parent type audience uh, in the Mo News community. So the internet has thoughts on this, uh, clearly, uh, mainly for the airline here, saying mom should have been picking this up. The Today Show has an expert. They call her an etiquette expert, and she happens to be a former flight attendant. Her name is Jacqueline Whitmore. She's quoted in the piece saying that asking a passenger to get on their hands and knees to pick up popcorn or any other debris is unprofessional. She says it is the flight attendant's job to come around occasionally to pick up trash and other debris. Anything that falls on the floor generally stays there until the plane has landed, and then the cleanup crew comes on board. And then you have this added detail, Jill. The airline provided the popcorn. <laughs> and so some people are saying, well, the airline kind of had it coming. But then the mom said yes to the popcorn, knowing that a two-year-old, two-year-olds don't have a tendency to eat popcorn very cleanly here. So people are going back and forth in the comments. I'm hundreds to go through. I'll try to get through all of them, folks. Ultimately, it appears so far, Jill, that the Monos community is sort of like the 2016 or 2020 election. It is like <laughs> literally 50-50 right now between these two. The devil is in the details, right? But in this specific case, it feels like both sides, the mom and the flight attendant, were wrong in some way. 
Yeah, because the flight attendant clearly came with an attitude being like, uh, the captain needs you to clean this up and here's a wipe and you need to clean up every piece. One of the social media posts by Jesse James Decker was taken down at some point that was more detailed. So maybe something wasn't factual there. I want to read a couple comments we're getting on Instagram. Someone writes, people voting mom in your next slide clearly don't have kids or tried to travel with any. Somebody is asking, I want to hear the flight attendant side of this. Somebody's saying, pregnancy is not a disability. As a mom, I am responsible for my children. Another, quote, fellow mom says, mom should make an attempt to clean as best as she can. Uh, Many people are saying, why didn't they just work together on this? Uh, So that is where we're at, everyone, about 48 hours into Popcorn Gate. From ESPN, Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin's been fully cleared to return to playing football. The team says Hamlin saw his last specialist Friday and is participating at voluntary workouts with the Bills this week. He spoke to reporters on Tuesday. Here's some of what he said. My heart is still in it. You know, my heart is still in the game. Uh, I love the game. Um, It's something I want to prove to myself, not nobody else. You know, Uh, it's just I just want to show people that that fear is a choice um, that you know, you can keep going in something without having the answers and without knowing what's at the end of the tunnel. Or, you know, you might you might feel anxious. You might feel any type of way, you know, but you just keep putting that right foot in front of the left one and you keep going. I want to stand for that. The announcement comes three and a half months after Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest during the first quarter of a regular season Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. The team manager said Hamlin has seen numerous specialists since returning from Cincinnati and that they have all agreed that he can fully return to playing football. Really remarkable recovery for Hamlin. He's 25 years old, uh, set to return to the football field after what was a very scary situation a few months ago. Last month, Hamlin was in D.C. to help promote a bipartisan bill called Access to AEDs. It would increase the availability of automated external defibrillators and related training on school campuses across the country. The NFL has launched a Smart Heart Sports Coalition. It's a collaboration with several groups to advocate for policies in all 50 states aimed at preventing fatal outcomes from sudden cardiac arrest among high school athletes. Unfortunately, you've heard about a few of these cases. And what was very key here, and we talked about this in the podcast, was the medical professionals who were able to get to Hamlin so quickly on the field and revive him were key to ensuring that he didn't suffer major brain damage and key to the fact that he's going to be able to play football again. From The Hollywood Reporter, it is the end of an era for Netflix. 25 years after the company was founded, Netflix says it will wind down its legacy DVD by mail business. Yep, those red envelopes will soon be no more. Netflix says it will ship out its last DVD, September 29th of 2023. Writing on its website, after an incredible 25-year run, we've made the difficult decision to wind down. Our goal has always been to provide the best service for our members. But as the DVD business continues to shrink, that is going to become increasingly difficult. Making 2023 our final season lets us go out on a high note. So it's the end of OG Netflix here. Years before it was streaming shows, Netflix launched with a very simple idea. Replace the outmoded DVD rental experience. Remember going to Blockbuster? Not only do I remember going to Blockbuster, I remember going to Blockbuster to get VHS tapes. (laughs) Hashtag, we're old. I'm old. Would you ever buy the big uh, candies? They had like movie theater candy you could buy at Blockbuster as you rented a movie? Of course. And speaking of popcorn, they sold popcorn there yes. at Blockbuster. But did my mom clean it up if I spilled it on the floor? Probably. <laughs> 
<laughs> so some people might know this story. It's been written about uh, in the book by the Netflix founders, but Netflix actually tried to sell itself to Blockbuster. And Blockbuster's like, we're not interested in you. We got a great thing going. Well, little did they know. And so Netflix remained independent. They had these iconic red envelopes that were everywhere, effectively helped kill Blockbuster. But as it turns out, we all know the technological story here. Streaming grew a lot faster than the DVD business. Peak DVD sales, by the way, 2005 to 2009. And that's when you start to see DVD sales come down over the course of the past 14 years. So Netflix hasn't actually broken out how many DVD subscribers it has had for several years now. 2019 is the last year we had when apparently there were 2.1 million subscribers still of DVDs as of three years ago. They were still bringing in revenue, about $300 million at that point. But the co-CEO, Ted Sarandos of Netflix, now says, once your primary role is trying to save a business, you are dead. And so the DVD sales here are dead as of September. Some trivia for you, Jill. Hmm. They have sent out more than 5.2 billion DVDs over the last 25 years. The first DVD shipped ever was Beetlejuice back in March of 98. And Blindside with Sandra Bullock was the most requested DVD film of all time. It is a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the greatest in Netflix history. Uh, And as I mentioned, peak DVD sales in the US lasted from 2005 to 2009. That's when 2 billion DVDs were being sold a year, billion with a B. As of last year, Jill, you might find this surprising. Just over 200 million DVDs were sold last year in the U.S. I'm shocked that people are still buying DVDs. Listen, when you look around the country, there are still parts of this country where uh, there isn't high-speed internet. And so if you want to watch films, uh, you still probably need to get a DVD because the streaming isn't fast enough. I have a friend who actually still gets the Netflix DVDs delivered to him. And he said it's just this nice thing that they get a DVD. They don't necessarily know what it's going to be. He and his wife watch it over the weekend and it gives them something to do. And it's it's just kind of part of their routine at this point. Maybe Netflix will add a feature. I mean, Netflix already is sort of that way where like you can randomly, it randomly selects stuff for you. So you can sort of get that surprise from the comfort of your home without having to go out to the mailbox. Oh, because that's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now time for On This Day in History. On this April 19th, we have a bit of American history we're going to start with today. On this day in 1775, the battles of Lexington and Concord began, and the American Revolution was on its way as the 13 British colonies in North America, with the help of the French and Spanish abroad, started our effort to win independence. The U.S. would actually declare independence, as we know, in July of 1776. So that first year, there was still an ongoing debate about whether this was just a uh, kind of uprising or whether the states should actually become an independent nation. That issue was resolved in 76. The war would last for another five years. The British finally surrender in 1781 with a peace agreement in 1783. All right, we'll fast forward American history here. 60 years ago this week in 1963, Martin Luther King wrote his famous letter from the Birmingham jail with this notable quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And we'll head to the 90s now, 30 years ago today in 1993, after a 51-day standoff with U.S. federal agents, 80 members of the Branch Davidian religious cult in Waco, Texas, perished in a fire at their compound as they engaged in battle with uh, the feds. For those interested in the Waco story, there's been a whole bunch of documentaries that have come out recently on the aforementioned Netflix and some of the other streaming platforms. 
Speaking of television, 36 years ago today, in 1987, The Simpsons premiered. Well, sort of. They started as an animated short cartoon on the Tracy Ullman show. As Some of you might remember that show. And so on this day in 87, it's a short segment called The Simpsons Cartoon. It would eventually premiere on its own as a standalone show on Fox at the end of 1989. And Jill, it's been 34 years. Homer, Bart, Marge, and Lisa have not aged a day. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you a little Jill Wagner trivia, Mosh. I have never had soda. I have never been to Disney World. And I have never seen a full episode of The Simpsons. You would be real tough to play Never Have I Ever with because, yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. You're definitely, like, I would think, like, you're definitely lying about one of those things. How have you never seen an episode of The Simpsons? I've seen maybe two minutes here or two minutes there, but I've never sat down and watched a full episode. Because based on my knowledge of your TV habits in the 90s and the reruns you watch, you are an aficionado of Fox. You were a fan of Melrose Place. You're a fan of Beverly Hills 90210. And uh, Married with Children was also on Fox. I imagine you caught an episode of that at some point. And The Simpsons was the other iconic show, along with Cops. Cops was probably their other big famous show when they launched. Everybody loves it. For some reason, I just never had any interest in watching it. It's not like I watched it and didn't like it. I just, maybe because it's animated, it's just never really appealed to me. Not a cartoon person. Except Bluey. Bluey is probably the most popular show uh, in America and obviously Australia. And the amount of uh, messages I get about whenever I report on something Bluey on Instagram, people are obsessed. It, there's a reason for it. It's awesome. All right, Jill. The story I teased at the top of the podcast, the clue I gave you, the number five, has to do with our last on this day. On this day in 1999, 24 years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. Louis Vega released his song, Mambo Number no. 5. Mosh, that is the number five thing. I couldn't, I didn't know what you were talking about, but that makes sense. You couldn't go anywhere in 1999 without hearing Mambo Number no. 5. I feel like there's a couple iconic songs of the 90s that just kind of became larger than life. One is probably the Macarena, and I feel like Mambo Number no. 5, like, up there, don't you think? Definitely. I think in my head, though, I was thinking of like a viral video, but I guess that didn't really happen back then. No, no, there's I mean, the Internet was very young, etc. Mambo number five becomes number one in Germany, in the UK, in the US, uh, basically all around the world. Um, I don't know that he was ever able to repeat that success. I'm reading his uh, bio here, Jill, because I was like, what happened to Lou Bega? Apparently, he's still around. He tried to come up with, you know, more songs and albums and uh that was it. Peaked with Mambo number five. Mambo number six never quite made it. <laughs> a one hit wonder. Um, all right. That is a wrap. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And don't forget to call us on our new voicemail with questions. Call me maybe. Call me maybe. Another great classic song, viral song from recent years. Call us 1-800-711-MOSH. Leave your name, where you're from, and your question about the news or commentary on the show. And we may play your voicemail on a future episode. No promises, though. Keep it clean. Keep it interesting. Uh, but we're starting to see some voicemails come in, Jill. We're starting to collect them and transcribe them. Uh, and so we are prepared to start airing them. And don't forget, beyond uh, the podcast, beyond the voicemail, follow us on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H for the latest and greatest. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.